Welcome to the Mosavar Romani Center for Business and Government at the Harvard Kennedy School. For more information on events, news, and research, visit www.mrcbg.org. Okay, time to start. Um, welcome to everyone. I'm John Ruggie, and I'm very happy to be here today with Tori and Berg uh, to talk about um, ESG ratings. Now, for um, I'm sure uh, Florian will explain all of this in, in, in much clearer ways than I can. But um, one of the major developments in financial markets in the last decade has been the um, incorporation into investment decisions of environmental, social, and, go and corporate governance criteria. Um, it is um, about $31 trillion worldwide today, which makes up about a quarter of all assets under management. Extraordinary development. And if you look at a chart over time, it looks a bit like a hockey stick. It was sort of flat in the 90s, uh, slightly curved, and then 2007, 2008, woo, after the financial crisis. 2016, it kept shooting up. In the US, um, assets under management that included some sort of ESG criteria between 2016, the Trump election, and 2018, jumped 38%. And those two may not be causal, but it's an interesting correlation. So um, we look forward uh, to Florian's talk. He, uh, uh, he has a, a very a diverse and interesting background. He has a PhD uh, from the University of Paris in economics. Um, he is a, now a researcher at the Sloan School at MIT. And in, in between, um, he's been both an analyst and a strategist at hedge funds. And so uh, Florian, without further ado, thanks for being here. Um, so it was a very good overview of what's happening. So actually, I, after my PhD, um, which was already about sustainable strategies, um, I joined Amundi, actually before and after, um, which is one of the biggest Euro, um, asset managers in Europe. And that was in 2009. And I started working on trying to make traditional strategies um, sustainable. And I started, I think, we had four billion in sustainable investing, and three or four, four years later, we already had 60 billion in sustainable investing. Um, so that's actually a massive increase, right? And that's a little bit what happened, what John actually said in 2008, 2009, it started, especially in Europe, that um, sustainable investing really became a big thing. And so those 31 trillion US dollars of assets under management, they need signals, right? You need to figure out what is actually sustainable or what is not. So you need ratings. You need firm level ratings. And that's what we call, that's the ESG rating we, we talked about, environmental, social, and governance rating. Um, so what we actually did, so yeah, when you look at sustainability, um, it's a concept that Actually, I think if I asked in a detailed level what you would think about what sustainability is, 
I would get as many different opinions as people are here in the room. So it wasn't common knowledge already at that time that those rating agencies that um, come up with those ESG ratings, that they don't agree. But until now, no one actually has ever explained why they don't agree. So this is actually what we do here with my colleagues Julian and Roberto from MIT. So first, we collected um, all the data sets, all the big data sets that are out there. So that was um, Visualis, KLD. Those actually were the two first. They started in the 80s, French and American. Um, then the others are asset four. Uh, we also have uh, Robeco Sam, which is behind the Dow Jones Sustainability Index, which you might have heard of. And the last one was, what I had, asset four? MSCI. No, we didn't MSCI, asset four, Sustainalytics. Uh, Rebecca Sam, KOD, and wait, what did I forget? Sustainalytics. Yeah, and so, but there are two more missing. The biggest player is actually MCI and, um, and Ökom. So we didn't get them in the beginning, but once we actually published our findings as a first draft, some newspapers wrote, the FT wrote about us, and we had a lot of downloads and SHIN, and they get actually contacted why they are not part of our research. So then they actually contacted us, and we got the data in the end. So that's what we're doing now, we're integrating that, but it's a lot of work. So I'm just showing you the results of um, those, with those five rating agencies, and I will, um, I think the, the initial results of integrating the others show actually that there's not much difference. But we will um, put a draft online probably in December that will integrate the others. So comparing all those data sets between those five rating agents that we had, we could actually see that those ESG ratings are constructed in a similar way. And I will show you that here. So first, they all start with um, attributes, theoretical attributes. Theoretical attributes is, for example, climate risk. Transition risk, physical risk, could be human rights issues, child labor, um, supply chain management, um, could also be uh, gender bias in your company. <clears throat> and those, actually, those attributes, then, they want to measure. So they need, actually, a proxy for that. Because gender bias, for example, in a company, the, if you really want to measure it, you would need hundreds of people following every woman and men, and really to try and write down what happened actually in those conversations. That would actually have privacy problems and also would be hugely costly. So that's why we need proxies. And a very simple proxy is then um, the salary gap between men and women, for example. And that we denote as an indicator, I. So there are, between the rating agencies, there are between 40 and 800 indicators depending on the rating agency. And they all then want come to a final rating. There's actually a, um, there's a step between. What most of the rating agencies, not all do, is they regroup all the environmental, the social, and the governance indicators, and then they create sub-ratings for the environment, social, and governance dimensions. And then they actually uh, they aggregate those three dimensions into an ESG rating. And this aggregation... <coughs> 
Yeah, so then you end up with a final rating. So this is just an, this is the overview of what an ESG rating is. Um, let's look a little bit at the problem. And the problem is the divergence, as I said. So they do not correlate between rating agencies. So when we look at this, this is actually um, uh, a simplified correlation matrix. Um, as you can see, is the correlation between sustainalytics and VGO on the ESG rating level, for example, is 73%. This is actually um, the best correlation. So they don't agree, actually, as you can see. The, the lowest correlation is 42%, which is actually quite low for if you want to measure some, the same thing. And what you can see here is actually that the green see, uh, uh, means that it's high correlations. The orange means that it's low correlations, lower correlations. And what you can see is that KLD is actually fairly different to all the others. And that is very interesting from, interesting from an academic point of view because most of the academic research is based on KLD. Whereas it's just a legacy database because MSCI bought them and they do not they don't really have analyze, analysts behind them anymore, so they don't continue that service. Um, investors don't really use it, but a lot of still academic research is based on those ratings. I will talk about the implications, more implications later. And what you also can see is that the correlation for environmental is a little bit less than for ESG when you take the average, and it's very detailed in our paper. Um, as the social dimension is less than the E dimension, and governance has the lowest correlation. Where you can see between for KLD and SF4, for example, there's just no correlation at all. Um, it's even slightly negative. Um, yeah. So, to see, um, to give you a more, another intuitive um, way of seeing the divergence, what we did is, we took the five rating agencies <coughs> and we looked at the common sample between those five and we looked up the top 20% best grade rated companies in each um, rating agency and created a common set between those companies that are in each, um, in the best rated part of each of the rating agencies. And so, total, that would be theoretically, could, would be 164 companies if they agree. We end up with 25 companies for the best. It's really hard to make, actually, a portfolio with 25, um, a creative mutual fund um, portfolio with 25 companies. You would definitely have problems with your risk profile. So, that means it is very... It, the choice of creating a portfolio for a mutual fund or for an investor depends heavily on the choice of the rating agency. And that is a problem because now no one actually, until we did this, no one actually really knew why there are differences. So why, do, why should I choose one rater over another? Um, so... Um, and the reason why, why they diverge is because 
this is a theoretical framework, and then actually we did that empirically, we estimated it. There are basically three um, sources of divergence. The first is, I talked a little bit of gender bias, right? Again, you have here the A's, the white circles are the, um, the theoretical attributes. The, those are the indicators for each rating agency, and this is the first rating agency and the second rating agency. So, a gender bias, as I said, you have different proxies for that, different indicators, right? Those two different indicators could be um, the salary gap or how many women got promotions compared to men. So you see, they both want to look at gender bias, but they do it a little bit differently. So you have a measurement divergence. Another um, reason why they diverge is, for me, I grew up in Germany until I was 18, and then I've lived abroad for almost the same amount of time. And in Germany, I remember, it was frequently in the news, electronic sm electrosmog and um, overland lines causing cancer. When I moved abroad, I never heard that again. And so you can see there's some cultural difference between rating agencies. For example, this could be a German rating agency, and they would measure electronic electromagnetic fields. Whereas the other rating agency is an American, and with all your overland lines, maybe it's not a topic, so um, then you don't have it in your scope, right? So that's the second source of divergence, the scope divergence. The third, the third and then, as I said, the third source of uh, divergence is weight divergence. Because you have all those indicators, and I said they are between 40 and 800, and you want to have one final rating. So you have to aggregate them. Simple way would taking an average, right? But that doesn't seem like a good thing to do because you would probably argue that CO2 emissions are more important than gender bias. Or the opposite, depending on what you think. Um, I like your critical smile. <laughs> um, good. So those, this is, those are the three sources of divergence. And... Mathematically, we needed those three sources of divergence because we run a lot of machine learning then in order to disentangle that and estimate how much um, uh, each source of divergence contributes to the overall divergence. Um, but you can also see that scope and um, weights is actually one of, is kind of the same thing. It's a conceptual difference, right, between those rating agencies. Because if you just set the weight to zero, then it drops out of the scope. Indicator. So, in order to compare those five rating agencies, because I said some have 40, some have 800 indicators, we needed a common language. So we needed to match those indicators. And we created a taxonomy. taxonomy. Um, so again, A is our, uh, is our theoretical attribute, I are the indicators, and then we created categories and put the categories in certain, uh, the indicators in certain categories. And the way we did this is we took all the indicators from the five rating agencies, and whenever we saw that two actually um, indicators from two different rating agencies would measure the same um, attribute, theoretical attribute, then we would put it in one category. Categories can be broader and yeah, more granular and less granular. For example, electromagnetic fields. 
there are two raters that have it. Clear, it's a new category. Supply chain management is more complicated. Some raters have only one, um, uh, have only one, uh, one indicator for supply chain management. Others have 40. So sometimes in those categories, we would actually put in 40, um, 40 of those indicators. And then we, we would just take the average inside. And the, uh, econometrically, machine learning-wise, that actually is a very good approximation of what's really going on. And I would show you um, that this actually works in um, the slide after this. But first, now since we actually have a common language, we can dig a little bit deeper. Now we can actually look at correlations on the indicator level. So we came up with 64 categories. Here they're a little bit less because you would just not see anything. Um, and what you see is that correlations range from 65%, access to healthcare between Sustainalytics and Asset4, um, to minus 47% in responsible marketing. What does that mean, minus 47%? So you're actually... You're, um, one ed rating agency thinks you're a good player, and the other rating agency systematic thinks you're a bad player. And then another, the highest correlation, surprisingly, or not surprisingly, is global compact membership, 86%. You think, oh, 86% is a high correlation. It's actually not at all, because global compact membership is just yes or no question, right? And you have a database in the Internet where you can actually... So you go on the website, you just type in the name of the firm you're looking at, and it says exactly when it joined the Global Compact. So I thought, mm, maybe we have a data problem here. Obviously, I dig deeper into the data. <coughs> took the raw data, compared Sustainalytics and Asset4, and thought maybe there's some temporal differences, um, or there is a systematic uh, um, problem with Sustainalytics or Asset4, and actually both got it wrong. And for companies that have signed the UN Global Compact five years ago or so. So as you see, there's measurement divergence. So of, yes? So the white space is in that the, the two agencies do not both have the exactly. category. Exactly. Scope it. divergence. That's the second divergence, yeah. So we have also, we also see the scope divergence. Um... So what we then did, we had to, we, we, we actually had to test if our categorization, our taxonomy is a valid construct, right? If you match that well. The way we did it is we looked at, we tried to explain each rating for each rating agency with our categorization. Turns out, we used all sorts of machine learning algorithms, neural networks, um, random forests, um, turns out that the linear regression, so a very simple technique, worked actually the best. And it worked so well that we actually, for some raters, we explained 99% of um, the rating. 96%, um, 98%, 90%, so always above 90% using our categorization. So, first of all, we know now this is actually a construct we can use. Um, and secondly, we also, since we have used a very simple model, we can actually um, look at the weights for each category. Dashes means um, this is not in the scope. So what you can see, for example, as in here, business ethics, 
you have uh, 0.147 for KLD. And for Rebecca Sam, you have 0.051. So this is three times as big as this. So you see there's a weight divergence, right, between those ratios. <coughs> yes? Um, sorry, can I repeat, like, this, this slide, like, uh, which requires on what? The, the ESG rating regressed on our categories. So the indicators, but matched with our categories. As I said, sometimes um, I have to put several indicators in one category, like supply chain, right? And so that could actually mean there's a data loss or an information loss. This requires on the first um, type of discrepancy. Sorry? No, no, it's ESG rating just regressed on the indicators. So we... Um, so the, uh, the other thing what we learn here is actually that um, those rating agencies, they say that our ratings depend highly on the, uh, the information we take out into account in our inner rating depends highly on the sector or on the industry where the firm is operating. This shows not so much, actually, because it's a linear model. It's just, an, it's just a weighted average between those weights, right? That's what a linear regression gives you, actually, in the end. Um, and that's why we're actually so surprised. That's why we used uh, neural networks and machine learning. They we, we, random forest because they would have captured um, those dependencies on industries, maybe. But yeah, there was no improvement. Um, so, and what we find, and I won't show you the math. I promised that to John. Um, I already lost a lot of people in my last talk. Like it. So um, the. <coughs> the differences to measurement are between 47 to 53%. The differences to, to scope are between 29 and 44%. And uh, the differences to weight are between 3 and 24%. Um, so roughly, actually, since scope and weight can be taken together as conceptual differences in sustainability, we know now that half of the divergence is due to measurement, and the other half is to, to different, a different definition of sustainability. So, and I invite everyone to read my paper if you want to um, dig a, little, a bit deeper. We also have some additional findings that are very interesting, but I just want to focus on the main, um, on the main ideas. So that, all, that has some implications. As I said, first, academia. I... Um, is this most of it is used? Uh, most of academia uses still KLD data to do research on. So um, there's obviously a problem because it seems like that in the correlation space it's a little bit different than the other rating agencies. And for companies, um, they can actually now. They, there's the same um, as a company. If you want a better ESG rating, just look at. Uh, another rating agency, right? Um, and so now actually those, this model that we gave, actually this methodology that we came up with can be used for companies and then they can spot where actually the differences are. So they can say, oh, um, the, our, our main, main difference between Asset4 and Rebecca Sam is we, are, we have a very bad rating with Rebecca Sam because um, it's due to measurement differences in the, in the category health and safety issues. Um, for example, or CO2 emissions, or gender bias, right? Or it can be a scope issue, or a weight issue. 
So they can use that and then can go to the rating agencies. Um, for the rating agencies, they were, um, they were actually, I presented it uh, to almost all of them um, that are in the study, and they're actually quite surprised about a couple of findings. And um, yeah, so they, for them it's actually very interesting that they always thought it's conceptual differences, but this actually shows that there's a lot of differences in measurement, actually, and they're almost more important. Um, for investors, it's the final question, what do we want with sustainable investing? In the end, we want to create an impact, right? We want to change the world a little bit. And this is, we only do this if we actually, so if you change prices on the stock market. So if investors actually buy a stock and drive up prices, then this company can actually refinance itself more easily and can use the funds, the cheaper funds, to engage in social responsible behavior, compared more social responsible behavior than compared to the others. The problem is, if we now have, with five different rating agencies, or with seven, we have seven different signals, there's a signal dilution, right? As I showed, that out of 164 companies, we only, they only agreed on 25, right? That they actually talked. So, um, yeah, this signal dilution will actually prevents us to harness the, 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 all the potential that we have, actually, with sustainable <coughs> investing. So, um, now I'm actually, yeah, so the, I also want to talk a little bit about the, um, the regulation. <coughs> that should happen. So the problem is, what one of the big problems we had with rating agencies um, was even we as researchers, we tried to get the data, and it was very complicated to actually really understand what the data means. So they gave us often, some even didn't even have uh, PDFs that would explain their methodology. Um, some would. But even then, they just said, okay, we measure gender bias, but we didn't really know how. Um, so I think there actually really has to happen something. So we have to create more transparency um, about measurement practices. Um, that could happen. One of the ways that could happen would be, for example, that um, yeah, also the raw data is a little bit more harmonized. Um, firms that actually do disclose um, information, they disclose it a little bit like however they want, like they wanted to disclose, right? Um, so an audited mandatory disclosure would very much help lead, help to a convergence in measurement, um, because then often then we could actually have um, they could compare it with you uh, know given with this, you know, this um, the interaction with those rating agencies could actually then lead to um, a positive competition towards better measurement practices, right? I'm not against the, I, I, don't, I don't think, I see it's a good thing that there are also conceptual differences, because everyone has his own idea of what sustainability is. And I mean, sustainability should be a fluid concept because it, what is important today will probably not be important tomorrow, or the opposite. And on the investor side, we definitely need more transparency of who they choose as their rating agency, what data they buy, and how they actually integrate that. 
Okay, thanks. Now I can take all the questions. <laughs> In the past decade, as we said at the beginning, there's been a massive increase um, in ESG investing. Mm -hmm. Now, the investors are rational, um, and they must have known about the divergence of the ratings. So how do, you, how do you explain putting money into something that was at some level incomparable according to different rating agencies? Yeah, let me answer that with my European cynicism. Um, I think it's also there's obviously a lot of marketing involved, right? And um, the more random those ratings are distributed, the more I can and I have divergent uh, divergent signals. The, the easier it is actually to come up with a portfolio. Is it meaningful? You don't know. Um, that is the problem, right? That's why I said if you really want to have an impact, we have to work on this. We have to get this. We have to improve that. And I think that is, um, so I think it, well, having worked in, in, in those companies, I sometimes got the feeling that actually they were quite happy about this decorations, unfortunately. But again, I mean, um, it's all, I think when we just look at it, it, the massive change that happened in the last 10 years, right? When we compare that to financial accounting, for example, it was very quick. And so, I mean, there's also something very optimistic, right? About this. We just need more time, I guess, to get it right. And sort of building on that, I mean, what sort of trend do you see? Do you see sort of SASB and greater convergence, or do you see just more and more of the investors developing their own methodologies and relying less and less on these? Um, I that is actually a very good question. So I can, I, 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 my intuition say, says there is more divergence for sure, um, especially for example as KLD doesn't really exist anymore, got absorbed by MCI, right? And MCI seems closer in the correlation space to all the other raters than KLD was. Um, I think there is divergence, but we haven't really, so I, our next paper, follow-up paper on this, will be actually looking at um, the evolution of this in the time series. But the pro big, big problem with all that research is that most of the data has been around for, what, seven, eight years? Reliable, um, because there are so many methodology changes. Um, and so, yeah, it makes it a little bit complicated to assess that. But I think, yeah, um, from a data perspective, I think they're all like, coming a little bit closer, just looking at correlation coefficients. I have a question about... Um methodology, especially about the weight you mentioned. Yeah. So when the ratings are released, they do the rating for individual of, uh, integers, and then they aggregate them. Do they set threshold values for individual integers? For example, if a company score very high, so they lose interest, but they're still in one or two of them, so they didn't reach a certain threshold? Most of them don't. So that is, yeah, it's a very good, that's a very good question. It's also a paper you want to write. Oh, I have a. I want to keep my rating constant, but um, so what can I do? How many women do I have to hire in order to um, pollute one ton of CO two more? Right, that's literally a question you can ask. Um, so, and most of the um, rating agencies actually have linear. It seems like that within industries they have linear 
aggregation rules. So those kind of things happen. There's no threshold. Um, except for, sorry? If they fail in the, the addition indicator, probably they would get a, like a, a fail for everything. I mean, just, just a threshold value. Yeah, exactly. No, that doesn't really, that doesn't, no, that doesn't really, yeah. A little bit nonlinear. The only one where I see, ex so where I see obvious nonlinearity, like what you said with thresholds, um, is MSCI, but not on um, indicator levels. Um, they actually, before they come up with an indicator, they have um, a lower level where they actually um, combine risk operating scores, some some sort of, with uh, management performance scores. And they, they have exactly that. Um, if you, for example, very very bad management, then even if you're low risk, you can't really catch up with this. Yeah? Hi. Um, thank you very much for the presentation. Um, in 2007, in this room, I gave a speech as product manager for KLD. So it's very interesting to see this amount of research looking back and touching some of the things we challenged with back in the day, 12 years ago. Yeah. Um, I've encouraged you to finish the history of the evolution of, of the product shops before you finish this paper, because it will give you some insights on the design choices we are forced to make, the information availability, the analytical methods that we apply as research shops. I would, I would actually like to have a chat with you yeah. after. So, but my question is, and Jason's made, I just pinged him out. So definitely there's a piece here. But the piece I'd like to start with is how you began. Now, as a research analyst, as an investor, I'm looking for difference. I'm not looking for homogeneity. I'm looking for the fastest, cheapest information that gives me the best analytical insight that I can execute faster than the next investor. Mm -hmm. So your premise up front is, let's examine the sources of divergence. Uh, for me, you can invert that completely. And it's like going to the supermarket and saying, why aren't all the cereals in Newsly? Virtual Newsly. Well, of course they are. So I, I mean, I'm unsettled from, from the opening of your premise, which is, why are all these things so different? My answer to that is, as someone who's worked on the inside, is designing, is designing them still. But of course they do. Of course they But of course they are different. Yeah. Both the data points, the methodology of the data point, the quality of the analyst, but yet the same 10K for sustainability report. So, yeah, we actually found a rate, we found a bias actually from analyst bias also in the data. Yeah. But it didn't have time to talk about. So the expectation of uh, investors, or they at least, <coughs> I mean, we have to understand the, the difference, right? If I, as an in um, investor want to engage in sustainability, right, and sustain, sustainable investing, and I have seven big players in the field, who do I choose? Cheap. Yeah, they. But, but yeah, you make your decision. But the cheap, the cheap, then means, um, but you also kind of you, 
one good quality of the data in the end, right? If you're a little bit not so cynical and don't only do it for marketing reasons, you actually really want good quality data. So, so you think, sorry, so could you restate the opening where you're looking, you say why aren't they sensitive? Why did they do that? Is, is that the ultimate question you're looking to answer? Um, with this paper, yes. Yeah. But it's not only why, it's also how. Yeah, it's how. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty, yeah, how, actually, discuss it probably better, yeah. How. I mean, it's also complicated for firms, right? If you have seven different rating agencies, and then you have, um, in the same category, you have um, completely different results between two raters, what are you going to do? I heard about firms, actually, I talked to um, uh, CSR managers, heads of CSR departments, and they said, what are we supposed to do? I mean, I, I, my management just wants to stop um, uh, writing those disclosure reports because, I mean, they come to completely different assessments, whatever we do anyway, right? So there's also, there's actually, with firms, there's a lot of frustration building up. Mm -hmm. For example, Nova Nordis is now refusing to complete the assessment. Who? Nova Nordis. Okay. They are now refusing to respond to the rating. Yeah. But let's talk yeah, just, just one comment on that, but philosophically, does agreement have to be explained? Yes, always. Does disagreement have to be explained? No, never, because it's natural for us to disagree, right? But, but I, think it's, I think it's semantic, because you, you're looking into, you have all these divergent um, uh, results here, and we don't know how they got the results. And so you're, you're asking, how did they get to diverging results? It's not why did they diverge, it's how did they get to that, right? So it's, I, I think that's the semantic issue. Can I ask a question about the um, pressures on uh, standardization? Could it be, I mean, quite apart from John Robbie pushing it, but uh, could, it, could there be something in the demand, on the demand side that, you know, if, if this correlates, if a good ESG index correlates with performance of a company, then that could win out over time. Yeah, and so the question is? What are the forces towards standardization? You know, with, naturally things are diverging because you want different things, but, but the investors say are going to be interested in particular ESG <coughs> indexes, not just because they want to pick something, but also because they need to, to, to pick the companies that yield the, the largest um, results in the end. And a big argument of the, for the ESG is that it actually correlates with performance of companies. So the different ESG ind indexes will correlate differently with performance of the companies. And that could be a driver towards, you know, some of these ESG indexes are poor at, at, at picking the right companies and others are better. I think so. that's definitely the rationale that investors use and why they actually push. I think they probably those that push the most for regulation at the moment. Um, I mean, they are all like, yeah. Uh, so you have, I mean, you probably know that SASPI as a, as a um, board that tries to standardize disclosure you have um, the Global Reporting Initiative. Um, but I think in the end, I mean, 
Yeah, it, it's very much, there's no, I, I don't see, I mean, the European Union tries to like, systematically push for it. Um, there was a vote in the House a half a year ago, a year ago, which was actually where even, I think, some Democrats voted it down um, about mandatory ESG disclosure. I think it's mainly driven by um, invested in that, yeah, for sure. Um, and I think most of it is actually is because it's just uh, when portfolio managers go to um, companies to the CFO and ask questions about this and he can't answer, then obviously he wants to start measuring that and realizes it's important, right? Um, I think that's probably um, the biggest channel of pressure at the moment, on, or was in the last 10 years. Um, now actually, yeah, if the European Union with the regulation effort that started like two, three years ago with this taxonomy um, and with the taxonomy and with um, the green bond standards and um, CO2 benchmarks and all that, that is definitely as well, yeah, that's definitely a big push. But um, in the end, I think, yeah, we, we would need more actually from, from governments. I think that's a big thing. I think the, the advantage of like having this sustainability movement is that regulation is always hard, right? Coming up with sustainability regulation, just like that, out of the hat, would be very hard. But if um, we have actually those uh, ESG leaders now that are coming up and they're disclosing certain information, we can actually use that, what works well, and start regulating that. And I think that's why, yeah, government has to really step up a bit um, the regulation in the end with that. I think that's the biggest problem. But that's obviously a problem in the whole sustainability space that the government starts actually, or it doesn't really do what, what they should do. Yeah? Uh, yeah, um, people come in here, I, uh, I work at a pension fund in and we spend uh, quite a lot of time on the ESG index and how we uh, actually do something about ESG integration. So this may help some of the questions we kind of discussed. So um, we didn't really worry about differences between indices at the time because they are all smart and very big firms. But what we worried most was that um, just for example, according to MSCI, let's just say Microsoft is a really good ESG company. So based on that, if we invest our money in Microsoft, does that mean that we're, our money will be spent on good things? We are not, even, we are not sure that thing. So, so I'm sure the index providers have their own um, logic and everything, but that doesn't really force the companies in their I agree. Yeah, I totally agree. So there's no, I have never come across serious research that shows actually there's an there's a true impact on stock prices. Because if you, one could argue that if you buy a stock because of you have ESG information, the stock goes up, but then another thing, one someone else who doesn't have this, doesn't use ESG information, will think, oh, the stock is a little bit expensive, so I'm going to sell it, right? And then it gets back to the equilibrium price, and then there would be no difference actually. But there are some theoretical papers that show that actually preferences and taste can drive up prices. So I think theoretically it is possible that we change prices through ESG investing. But if we have a dilution of the signal, that's why I was talking about it, then this would be less likely. But um, yeah, as a, unfortunately, no one has already. I, 
yeah, no one ever really tackled that question. Good question. Have you thought about creating an index of indices, basically using some sort of statistical method to put together all those ratings <laughs> and try to eliminate the bias you might find in each individual one, just kind of as a research or commercial? I think that's an interesting question, but that would also mean that we have um, kind of the ultimate truth, and that's the whole problem, though that's what the whole problem with the whole field, right? We don't really know what the truth is. So the only thing we can say is how actually um, those rating agencies diverge, but we can't say which one's better. I can only say KLD is a little bit different, and hence if you want to replicate the, the academic research that has been done on KLD, it might not yield the same results. So but I don't think if you just average the seven ratings, you'd get to a rating that's closer to the truth. Yeah. Yeah, like errors compensate um, <laughs> themselves, yeah. Uh, like diversification in ratings? And I, I, I'm sure people do this. I think they do. There are techniques of like getting out the, um, the errors. But like even if you look at principal component say, analysis or something, yeah, that's it's what it's got they four do. good ratings, one mediocre one. Overall, that's okay. Yeah, um, I mean, I know also in financial ratings they do it, in, in, I, but I, I think it's probably better to figure out what you actually want, what you actually think is sustainable, and which which methodology you agree of each rater. So you do your due diligence, and then you actually really choose well instead of just averaging all the things you maybe not like. I think that's, would, if I wasn't, had an asset management company, I would do that. Following yep. up on that, can you, you've mentioned that dilution, and ideally what you want to do is, is correct for the dilution, right? You want to identify, I mean, can you do that with the data and your correlations and the tools? Um, no. 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 <laughs> Unfortunately not. Yeah? Do you know if rating agencies use human rights specialists, environment specialists to define attributes to... Oh, that's a very good question. Great. Another finding I cut out, which is really interesting, is we call it the radar effect. So actually, um, the indicators, are, uh, the value of an indicator for a given firm is influenced by the view of the company on the whole. Differently said, um, if you're in high school, you have a teacher in five different classes, you excel in four, but kind of bad in the fifth one, you probably very much likely get a better grade that you actually deserve in the fifth class, right? And that's a bias, because he, the teacher thinks you're a good, a good student. So that happens actually, we see that, because, and most of the rating agencies actually um, have, each analyst works by firm, and so, um, and so, yeah, as you say, it's really, so we actually econometrically find that, what you're actually saying, that you can't be really a specialist in human rights issues and CO2 emissions and political spending and, and like in all those 800 different indicators that they have for some um, firm, right? Because the thing is that in human rights, at least, I'm sure, we have standards. So it could be a beginning to work with that. Yeah, but I think John is a good, he wrote a paper exactly on human rights. And those rating agencies, he said, and his paper says it's actually the worst in terms of divergence. 
That's the summary, right? <laughs> well, in, in a speech once I described it to pigeon droppings in St. Mark's Square. <laughs> random. Yeah, very random, yeah. Yeah, so, um, but there is this bias. Yes, go ahead. In the uh, early slide, uh, you had a listing of top-rated companies and then low-rated. I saw Berkshire Hathaway and it's low-rated. I'm curious how that happened. Um, I can tell you. I don't know by heart because I don't know the, the I mean, we have 20 million data points, so I don't know everything by heart, but um, I could, if you're interested, if you're interested, I could actually tell you why. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yes? You may have mentioned uh, or touched on this, but just from a global macro perspective, is there explanatory power in a higher general ESG number to a peer company that has a not ESG rated or a lower number as far as their performance, or, or that's what you were saying earlier, is we, we don't really know. Is there any value to a company that rates higher than its peer on an ESG level in aggregate through these different uh, indices that to perform better than one that doesn't? You know, less lawsuits, less human rights issues, less greater human rights. It, should we, I mean, I think that's in the general what people are looking, is there any explanatory power to a higher ESG rating for a performance as an attribute, an attribute, ESG. So we don't know how to define it. So uh, yeah, like performance, financial performance? or yes, financial performance. So the, the problem with, um, so this disagreement, right? Yes. So econometrically, noise always um, bias, biases coefficients downwards, right? Okay. So that means it will be harder to detect, actually, a link between financial performance and ESG, so sustainable performance, if there's a lot of disagreement or a lot of measurement noise. Yes. Um, intuitively, that makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, and so we might actually, something might, and then we create all those um, accounting frameworks that actually declare that some indicators are material, important, yes. and some are not. And they're actually based on that kind of research in part, right? So we, would, we might get it wrong because maybe an attribute is very important, but we don't find a correlation because it's actually observed in a very noisy way. Yeah. And so we do not um, put it in our um, SASB standards and, or in any other standards. And then, yeah, we, never actually, we will never also work on improving the, uh, the, the measurement, right? Because we think, oh, yeah, it's not in the SASB standards, so why would I actually measure it? So what's your thoughts? Is, is there going to be less noise to have? We're writing a paper on that too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really hard to yeah. uh, define uh, um, something. No, we, uh, actually I looked at it. Um, at the moment I'm, I haven't really found a link. And that'll fund your research from here on out. Yeah, no, I mean this is like, yeah, exactly. I mean we opened up like this disagreement then what, what, no one actually really yeah. written about something. And so that's opened like, yeah, whole like... Ten years of research. Yeah, great. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I want to piggyback on Graham's point. Uh, in October of 1983, uh, I was hired after graduating from here with a doctorate on recent schooling to for by a money manager by an investment management firm in Cambridge that was trying to launch a socially responsible mutual fund. This is 36 years ago. And I was hired to do the corporate social equity research. 
1983, if there was not much going on, Amy, Amy Dominey, Peter Kinder, and Steve Leidenberg had not yet, well, Amy and Peter were together then. Steve was working for Alice Tepper Marlin. But I had no clue as how to do that and started asking around. And Amy, she worked for a stockbroker like up the street and opened up her file cabinet to show me the, the annual reports of, uh, uh, that had pictures in them in the absence of women and black people. I mean, there was very little going on and we had to just make do. I then ended up working with Amy, Peter, and uh, Steve on the early phase of KLD, and then through the years have, have done a lot of that, including Sasby and others even here. My question is, well, it begins with a, with a philosophical observation. I think we are still in transition between what was and what will be when it comes to ESG or sustainability or impact investing off vocabulary. And I can say with confidence that what was going on 40 years ago and 36 years ago was a very keen appreciation of the impact of all of this on the bigger world. That the idea was not whose rating scheme is the best, but how do we actually make the world a better place? What is the material impact of better corporate behavior? on uh, literacy, on human rights, on climate. Well, then climate was still becoming a thing. But all of the outcomes in this context of actual impact in the world. And I think what has happened, at least from my old person observation, watching the evolution of this vast and sprawling industry now that exists pretty much up here and is almost totally disconnected from the ground. I, I spend now, I'm embedded in a lot of sort of groups that have no clue about what this is, and I'm trying to create opportunities for openings. Mm -hmm. How do we get to a point where instead of this, how do we open the aperture so that instead of being preoccupied with whose rating is better and how does this work in terms of company specific, but really look to the broader question of threshold tipping point and whether any of this really matters in terms of aggregate impact with respect to human rights, climate, and infrastructure. That, that conversation is being carried out by some of my colleagues. It is not at all included. I, I have your paper. I, I used it in connection with some current research I'm doing, and I applaud it. It's cool. Uh, sorry I was late getting in. I had other obligations. But, in your work, are you looking at any of this bigger picture, so what? What does it matter so that it's not so insular? The question of material impact with baseline thresholds, all of those kinds of metrics that take us forward instead of further into this tiny, teeny, sort of continued, sort of internal, intrinsic uh, set of standards. No, I agree. Um, I think there's a huge confusion with um, what actually is impact yeah. in mutual funds. As I, that was a little bit touched on the question that he asked, right? Um, no one actually really knows if we have an impact. Um, we might have an impact, but in an indirect way. As I said, a portfolio manager goes to the CFO of a firm and starts asking questions, and he's, and he's embarrassed that he can't answer them. So he starts measuring things, and he observes there are problems in the company, right? And he might actually change them. 
So that would be, but that's not really what we want, right? That's still want... internal impact. I mean, how does the aspirational piece of this translate into reducing some, achieving actually some of the UN SDGs or even some of the sort of aspirational? Goals? So that, but that, that, there's also a difference between ESG ratings, which are more like a footprint of a company, and then impact ratings. And the MSCI started recently um, coming up with impact ratings, but this is very much in its infancy. That's right. And I think well, that benchmarking alliance trying to do the same thing. Yeah. Real, that's right. real challenges. That's where that's where the horizon is. That's the what will be part of it. Yeah, yeah, no, I I agree. Yeah. I mean that's where we in the end we would want to go. But then also the problem is right now in the narrative is that ESG performance will automatically um, have a higher financial performance. And if we actually truly have an impact that might not be true anymore. So well, just one final thing. Those of us who were part of the early stages things. were also thinking about different, sort of a more expansive way of measuring ROI. Yep. It's actually, I think it's a, it's a, ESG is, um, is most likely what I think is management quality. I think if you're a good manager, yeah. then you just do those things. They're That's symptoms right. of being That's a good right. manager, right? right? And so if there's a link between financial performance and ESG performance, it's most likely this good manager performance, actually, that will create this overperformance, and not necessarily because you recycle it in your company. But it does play into a larger picture. Um, there's a, uh, for the last 40 years in this country in particular, less so in, in Europe, uh, the sort of shareholder primacy doctrine of the corporation uh, has held sway. Um, as you know, um, in August, um, the, uh, the, the conference board, the 200 largest companies in, in the U.S., uh, issued a statement that shareholder primacy is not sustainable mm -hmm. uh, and that some other, some other uh, understanding of the social role of the company um, has to be developed. ESG is one of the is one of the key drivers of that debate. Yeah, no, so I agree. There is a larger context. This isn't just you know um, playing with data for the sake of it. That's right. And even the UK has in their 2020 they revised their stewardship code, so which kicks in in uh, January 1st of 2020. And it's really an improved version of the original one and then the later revision, uh, where this is fully embedded, not just for asset owners, but for managers too. So again, I think we're, we, we need to keep our eye on the bigger prize, which is making a difference in the world, not just improving and upgrading managerial performance, that a firm does not, it's not an island. And there are other, by the way, there are other asset classes. You know, the, the, the multi-asset dimension of this is only beginning to be recognized too. Even as in fixed income, green bonds and so on have opened up that conversation. Uh, but how the principles that govern what you describe with this now very robust infrastructure might be uh, applied to a bigger, wider, not just conversation, but action plan that involves multiple sort of parties in multiple ways. It's much more a network effect, I think, yeah, no, I agree. than just a company-specific effect. I agree. I agree. But, but the reality is, is that 
Some subjects, we like this whole materiality thing was for them is like that's stupid. Why would you take 100 indicators um, into account? What's what's the deal with that, right? Um, what does it mean? Um, we just take five, six that are really important, and I mean it's easier also for VC funds to have real impact because you buy the company, you actually uh, um, you follow them, and you actually yeah you make sure that they're or you give them maybe some advice how to do that, how to be social responsible. Um, I think, that, but there is some movement with this SASB, for example. They're actually, um, they're really trying to um, say that it's actually not for, it's not that important to measure maybe 800 indicators. It's probably only 10 to 14, 15 per industry, right, or per company that are really important that tell us what's going on in the company. And I think that's a little bit what's happening. And I think that maybe would have been a great start to start with, yeah. So this whole materiality discussion actually, yeah, was, yeah, it's a big disconnect between the two fields, even in terms of research. Yeah. So I think that would, yeah. Yeah? Can you give us an idea about how the work inside these agencies actually is done? I mean, how many companies does one analyst cover? How many companies does the firm itself cover? How frequently do they change or update the ratings? Um, it really depends on the rate. So Rebecca Sam is once a year. It's also that's an interesting fact. Rebecca Sam they don't sell the data. We were really lucky to get them. Um, they only give it away for the only thing where they have external use is the Dow Jones uh, Sustainability Index. And yet there's a rate. The rate that 
um, uh, survey every year coming out asking thousands of investors, who do you trust most? It's Rebecca Sam. I think that tells you a lot also about the whole industry because no one has actually ever seen them really, right? Um, yeah, so you don't, they come up every year because they send out a questionnaire. MCI is fairly, I got a mail actually um, last, last week that they were excused themselves that they wouldn't update their ratings for three days in a row. Um, because, so they do it actually very frequently. Um, yeah, others is every three months, sustainability, I saw it's mostly three months, every three months, yeah. So it really depends. And from, so there's also like, the, a lot of raters get bought, so KLD got bought by um, MCI in the end. Um, there were a couple of steps in between, but in the end, MCI bought that. Um, Visualis got bought by Moody's. Um, uh, Stan Poor bought TrueCost. Um, and Morningstar bought Sustainalytics. So a lot of big companies are actually buying those rating agencies. And I think that's why in the, in the near future they will actually increase in, um, in terms of analysts. But MCI, I think they have a couple of hundred already. Um, it, yeah, I think. But they're also they, they're outsourcing a lot to um, other countries. Like, yeah, they have a lot of data crunching as well. So I don't really know how how many real ESG analysts that actually know which company they work on they have and how many people just do data crunching. Yeah. But the role of big data and, and machine learning is playing into this at the same time. Yeah, there's also, yeah, of course. Um, we can now observe CO2 emissions out of, from satellites, all those things, right? But that is all, that's a massive step up, right? You need a lot of money in order to figure out where the factories from a company are and then you can maybe fact check if they actually emit as many CO2 emissions as they claim. Um, and that there are also rating agencies like True Value Labs that actually um, just do ratings by web scraping information and through that actually decreasing cost of the whole process. Um, if it's reliable is another question. I think, I think we've seen too that uh, when the smaller agencies get purchased by the larger ones, they they are more lenient in their rating. Do you see that? No. Well, that was uh, I'll have to get you that story, but oh, yeah? they actually get influenced because I, you know, the company's hired the rating agencies, and some some way Moody's Standard Poor's, and if it's a more lenient rating, they're more likely to get hired by the company. Yeah. You, you don't know this? No. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll get. I saw something funny um, the other yeah. day about Moody's that they, when they bought Visualis, like a month later, they gave, they came up with a statement: if you don't integrate ESG, if you don't have ESG disclosure, you might get a worse rating, financial rating. Yeah. Now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like the okay. months yeah. after, yeah. <laughs> not before, but the months. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. One, one other question: You mentioned Rebecca Sam is the, is the most sort of trusted. Yeah, is there data available on which of the seven is the most used? Or so academic research, because it's for free, is KLD. You can just, uh, on the Works database, uh, Morton database, you can download it. So that's why everyone uses it. I think it's more on the investor side. MSCI is it. the most heavily used by far. Yeah, because they, um, so there's also this, they, you can approach um, ESG ratings by two different um, views. So that's the value view and the values view. And so values, you want 
um, you, you engage in sustainable investing because you think there's some financial value in there, you will be have a higher financial value. And then there's the value space because it corresponds to your values. So two extreme examples would be MSCI, the American company is obviously more financial performance focused and the French one, which is VGIRIS, there is on the other extreme and there would be more um, value space. And then in the middle is sustainability, for example. Yeah. Other question? Any stock picking tips? <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me. So. <laughs> I was going to say, they weren't particularly well-known companies. It was interesting seeing the top quantile, whether you know, those would be the companies who automatically... <coughs> no, 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 don't, uh, don't ask me about that. Um, I have one more question. Yeah? Yeah. Um, this is something that I've been kind of thinking in my head for a while. Um, mm -hmm. So in um, portfolio theory, I guess there is an archive data for not, not impact investing, but just traditional finance investing. So separating our company data, I think, has opened door for a lot of um, information, new information and new findings. And I think it was a really good opportunity for investors to understand like, true performance of bonds and, and, and investors. Can we do something similar uh, for impact investing? Like, I mean, I, how can we really measure the additionality? So is there like a, is it possible to develop a, like a very broad market type ESG or any like, social impact index where companies can kind of compare themselves again so that and you could try separating data from our uh, But yeah, is that, is that a way? That's a big debate. Um, it's, it hasn't been settled at all. Um, so what you would do is, you, for example, this Pharma and French. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. Yes. So um, yeah, it's it's not it's not settled at all. Um, the question is, first of all, is there actually alpha? Um, and if there, so if there's, it does actually the beta load, and do you find something alpha? That is even a question. I wouldn't think that it's really settled. Um, and the other question is, um, is it rather, does it load on alpha or on beta, right? There are some papers about this, but I don't think there's any straightforward conclusion, um, unfortunately. Um, yeah. All right, well, thank you so much. And, um, you know, when you do the next paper, uh, come back and, and update us. I yeah. really appreciate Pleasure. your coming. Um, all the way from MIT. Yeah, all the way. <laughs> <laughs>